Hour number two of the People's Show. It's Dan Richo. Flying along with my producers here today. Eddie Gregory and Ben Bassarin. This hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We're also in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Uh, we're going to do uh, overrated, underrated here in just a moment. Uh, Mike Sando had to push back to 1230, so we'll do our quarterback tiers coming up after that. Not much debate on where Patrick Mahomes will be, I don't think. As this text says, Patrick Mahomes, number one, and also Patrick Mahomes on one leg is number two. Uh, Probably a a fair bet with Patrick Mahomes. And I think we all just respect Mahomes even more after watching the quarterback series. But um, we'll get to that coming up after 1230. A quick note on the Vancouver Whitecaps, who, uh, you know, I was poo-pooing the idea of big deadline acquisitions earlier in the show. But um, Richie Larea is signing on loan with the Whitecaps from Nottingham Forest, according to various reports. Now, Richie Larea, best known as a Canadian international, you saw him at the World Cup, um, and has been a long-standing big part of Toronto FC before getting his move to Nottingham Forest. Shortly after his move, Forest were promoted to the Premier League, and he then became surplus to requirements for Nottingham Forest. So his move to Europe hasn't really gone as smoothly as he had hoped, but still one of the top fullbacks you can find in MLS. I do love the move for the Whitecaps, actually, especially on loan through the end of the season. But there is one note about this move for the Whitecaps. It's not a permanent move yet, but they could choose to make it permanent or they could they are going to try to make it permanent at the end of the year and make him a designated player. Now, I know not everybody is the biggest Whitecaps fan around here. I know a lot of you maybe don't pay a ton of attention to the Whitecaps until you're on the bandwagon and maybe they're in a playoff game, which is a very real possibility this year. And Larea is going to help them on that front. I do have a problem, though, with making a fullback a designated player. And the line that they used in The Athletic to describe this move is the hope is that Larea will be one of the faces of the franchise in the lead-up to the 2026 World Cup. And... He'll be a designated player after this season. Did we not go through this already? You don't make a fullback your designated player in MLS. They did it with Ali Adnan, and it was a colossal disaster. (laughs) He was a great player, a fun player. And guess what? Didn't work out as a designated player. They decided to keep him, and it didn't work. The other part is wanting to make a Canadian international the face of your franchise. You just made this mistake with Lucas Cavalletti. Look, I get it. It's a sellable player. And when you're an MLS team, you have to think about how is this designated player going to help sell us tickets? The Whitecaps aren't going to be playing for the big European star that's making their move over. That just hasn't been their thing. The face of your franchise right now is Ryan Gold. 
And that guy, with the, especially the way that he's playing, needs to be everywhere. Find a way to make him as prominent as possible because he is legit the wor- like worth the price of admission right now with the way that he's playing. That's the kind of player you make the face of your franchise. Canadian internationals, I get it, especially when you tie them to the World Cup being played on home soil. It makes a lot of sense in terms of a business aspect of it. And you always have to keep those things in mind as an ownership group. And when you're acquiring players, especially in a league like Major League Soccer, where getting any sort of attention is difficult, I just ultimately, I think if you get star players, they're going to sell tickets. And I'm just not sure. As much as I think Richie Larea is a very good player and is one that's going to help the Whitecaps win games, he's not a necessarily a player that sells tickets for me as much as I appreciate him and what he does on a football pitch Uh, so just a quick take on that Uh, we're going to do overrated underrated so let's do it 650 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox hit the music overrated or underrated you can send in some submissions to the 650 650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox I've uh, thrown it out on Twitter as well, at DanRicho underscore. Got a lot of good submissions already coming through on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. It's uh, Dan Richo, The People Show, with Eddie Gregory and Ben Bassrin here as well. So overrated, underrated, uh, you give us a topic, we debate if they are overrated, underrated, or perfectly rated if we choose to sit on the fence a la Switzerland. Uh, all right. What do we got first? The prestige of the no-hitter, especially for fans. Okay. There was a no-hitter in baseball last night. Do you know who pitched it? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know it happened? That's, I think, the question for a lot of the, the listeners, right? I think in this um, – look, I, I love – Sports at Central with Tim McAuliffe, but I'm also understanding people get more of their news from their phones rather than watching the highlight show at the end of the night or when you wake up in the morning compared to what I got used to growing up, right? So maybe a no-hitter happens and people don't realize it in the same way unless they were on Twitter or threads and they saw it there or Instagram, TikTok, wherever you get your sports news from nowadays. I totally understand if... People didn't see the no-hitter from the Houston Astros' Framber Valdez last night. It's, okay, one of the things about baseball that's happened recently, it's definitely, the no-hitter's still underrated. Yeah. Okay. From a pitching achievement, it's still excellent. I'm not taking that away. Absolutely. Yeah. It is an (laughs) incredible achievement. You go nine innings without allowing a hit, and that is unreal. That's yeah. underrated. Like, it's unbelievable how yes. good that is. You watch Hyunjin Ryu last night. It looked like everything was a beach ball to the Baltimore Orioles. Okay? They were just, like, lacing pitches Double all in over the, the gap. place. Double in the yes. gap. Double down the line. 107-mile-an-hour single. It's just, like, nonstop, right? And here's this guy, Framber Valdez, the first lefty in Astros history to throw a no-hitter. Now, not all no-hitters are created equal. I remember there was one with Edwin Jackson many, many years ago where he had like eight walks or something like that. (laughs) 
little less impressive, so you can kind of grade the level of no-hitter. But it still counts based on the technicality. It still counts based on what a no-hitter actually is. Perfect game, always going to be better than a no-hitter. But a no-hitter, still impressive. Yeah. Blue Jays were collectively no-hit by the Detroit Tigers. Again, graded on a different scale, but still impressive. And also, how do you get no-hit by the Tigers, Blue Jays? Um... What was the coolest part about this, though? Framber Valdez, who's been pretty good for the Astros the last couple of years, came out of nowhere. I didn't know the story behind this guy. Did you guys hear this? No. So, uh, baseball is still like a wild and wacky world where you can find somebody in the uh, randomness of the Dominican Republic and be able to sign them for ten grand and bring them over to the major leagues. That's essentially what happened with Framber Valdez. <laughs> so a scout for the Astros gets a call. Like, hey. Want I'm watching you to- some kids play stickball. Yeah. I want you to come see my guy. It's like, what? Yeah, just come come see my guy. And, and maybe you owe this person a favor. And the scout's like, all right. You know, what am I going to do? Just sit in my hotel room here in the Dominican Republic or go watch some guy for this friend of mine. So he goes to watch some guy and they end up in this uh, parking lot and it's just lit by a bunch of car headlights <laughs> and Framber Valdez is set up to throw a couple of pitches for this scout on scene for the Houston Astros but well, that's the epitome of Central America baseball oh my scouting goodness. isn't it so good throws a fastball that's pretty good we can work with that show us something else throws a curveball mm, do it again does it again. Oh, this is this is looking nice. Do it again. Okay. We'll sign you for 10 grand. <laughs> You're hired. Can you imagine making that call to the gym? I just... You got to see this guy. I just found this guy. Next thing you know, I think he had Cy Young votes in the COVID year and uh, has been an all-star the last two years and now has a no-hitter. But going Frank back Rivaldis. to my point on the cachet of the no-hitter, like, do you even remember the Astros having a four-pitcher no-hitter in the World Series last year? No. Yeah. Like, Don Larson, what's the first thing you think of? Yeah. No-hitter. Exactly. When? World Series. Exactly. Um, Roy Halladay's no-hitter in the playoffs for the Phillies? Yes. Iconic. Incredible. As a huge Roy Halladay guy, I was all about it. Mm-hmm. You know? The, the the thing in baseball that I I think is the, you know, we all play the Immaculate Grid now, or we call it Puktoku. Um, and base, baseball started it, and they called it the Immaculate Grid. The Immaculate Inning, to me, is one of the coolest things you can do in baseball. Three up, three down, nine pitches, nine strikes, three strikeouts. The Immaculate Inning. It happens so very little, obviously, but... To me, that's uh, you know, they're just little things that are cool in uh, in baseball. Uh, all right, no hitters, still definitely underrated, overrated or underrated. Uh, keep your texts coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. What do we got next? I guess we would go from Austin and Langley wanting a segment on the great Gigi. <laughs> oh man, I mean, I don't want to go off on an Italian rant, but grazie capitano. Uh, Gianluigi Buffon, uh, I think one of the most iconic athletes of the last uh, 20 years or so. 
Everybody knows who Gianluigi Buffon is. Uh, the great goalkeeper for the Italian national team, for my beloved Juventus for so many years. The only thing he didn't win in his career was the Champions League um, title. Juventus lost three finals uh, during the course of his career. All of them I remember very well and all still heartbreaking to think about. But you know a guy's a star player when he uh, transcends sport and kind of know like everybody knows and respects that guy. And that's uh, what Gianluigi Buffon ended up being for the Italian national team and uh, sports fans all around. Uh, so, yes, still underrated, even though he's the greatest of all time. Speaking of the Italian national team, overrated, underrated, the 2006 Italian squad. I mean, they won the World Cup. How could they be overrated? <laughs> this is some of the fondest memories I have of uh, watching that team. It was just before I went into college and decided I was going to start in this crazy, wild, and wacky business that I decided to make a career out of, and uh, I'll never forget. How can you call a championship team overrated when they have failures in their future? Like, in the moment, they yeah. were at their peak. Yes. But then you're going to call them overrated when they failed after the fact? They haven't played a knockout stage game at the World Cup since they won the World Cup in 2006. That's on the Federation, not on those players. <laughs> yeah, they may have won the Euro, but uh, it's just the World Cup has not been it for the Italians ever since 2006. That, that squad was unbelievable. You, you look up and down that squad, littered with guys everybody knows and remembers. You know, Del Piero, Totti, Luca Toni, Fabio Cannavaro, Andrea Pirlo. Oh, man. The Woodbridge is coming out. All right, next. Not sure who this one's from, but solo shows. Satyar. Ah, yes. Shah. Well, since Sat asked, they are the best. The more I can do this, the better. I'm just kidding, Sat. The Rogers Bean counters are like, reach those guys onto something. <laughs> I, uh, so I used to do a ton of solo shows early in my career, and I think they were fantastic for me to build up confidence, get reps, kind of find my way, get through all the ums and ahs and different types of things. And if I were to listen to my early career solo shows and compare them to now, it You'd sound wildly different. And then you could say that for anybody that's worked in this business. Now I've gotten so used to doing shows that are co-hosted. They sound better. It's better to have an argument. Different points of discussion. Different perspectives. I get all that. I still like doing the one or two off solo shows every now and again. Just to get it out of my system. But I would not want to do it five days a week. Sorry, Bick. I know he has fun with it. So it's perfectly rated it's perfectly rated switzerland it's switzerland yes all right next from justin and east van staycations overrated uh, overrated like I, I don't know what to do with a staycation that's how you get bored on vacation there's only so much downtime you could possibly have just google a thing or two like a tourist attraction that you haven't done before i guess or just a spate or just somewhere and see Go see something you haven't seen before. So I know this is going to be something that um, I guess people often bring up. Like, we live in, in BC. There's an incredible amount of places you can go that you have not yet experienced and are pretty damn cool. Right? You want to go to the island. You want to go over to the Okanagan, inland, whatever, Kootenays. I, like, there's a bunch of places I've still not yet explored since moving to BC. However... 
When you start to compare costs of what it's going to take to staycation somewhere in BC versus going somewhere else, it tends not to differ all that much. And so I, from a personal perspective, I've often chosen to go somewhere else, whether it be... Now, Europe's going to cost a little bit more, obviously, but you want to go somewhere in the U.S., you can do that. You go to Mexico, go to Hawaii, whatever you want to choose, that's similar travel time for some places and also going to be similar costs. And a lot of that comes down to, like, lodging. Like, lodging in B.C. is just so... You look at some of the prices on Airbnbs and stuff like that, it's just it's madness. I view, like, staycations as, like, I'm staying in the city Oh, I'm in. Like, getting a yeah. place in Vancouver and hanging out away from my home. And so I think that is totally overrated. Yeah. Because the biggest part of vacation for me is getting away going somewhere what else. I'm used to. Like, it's just removing myself from the environment. Yes. Removing myself from my square. Totally. You know? I'm not eating at the same places. Yes. I don't know where to drive. Yes. The little things. The little things. It's a great way to put it, Ben. Staycation's overrated. Definitely overrated. If it's like three days, okay, maybe maybe you can pull that off. But like even going to Whistler, you're like, I feel like I'm out of Vancouver. It's an hour true. and a half drive. Yeah. But you're in Whistler, and you're like, I'm not in Vancouver anymore. <laughs> I'm gone. Yes. Uh, all right, next. Gordon Ramsay. He'll be opening up two restaurants here in the Vancouver area, a burger joint at the Hard Rock Casino in Coquitlam, and a steakhouse at the River Rock in Richmond soon. So Gordon Ramsay and maybe celebrity chefs as a whole. Is Hell's Kitchen coming to Vancouver? No. Oh, would you a go? burger joint and a steakhouse to <laughs> some local casinos. Would I go to Hell's Kitchen? I probably would. Just to see, like to eat the food or just to see? Just to happens? see. Just to see what happens. I don't know. I've never been to the one in Vegas, but I've kind of wanted to go. Um, I kind of, I, I, I dig Gordon Ramsay a little bit. The show when he would just yell at people. I know he seems kind of rude. But you know what? Sometimes we're a little too polite. Definitely as Canadians, we're a little too polite. And when you need something done, like get it done. Channel in your inner Gordon Ramsay. Yes. He's going to get it done. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay is going to get it done. And he's going to see who's going to swink or swim in his Hell's Kitchen. Um, I'd definitely try it. I often uh, I make the Gordon Ramsay-style scrambled eggs. It's the new way, uh, the, the technique I've learned through TikTok. You saw that master class video yes. on TikTok. And I'm like, I'm I'm never making scrambled eggs any other way. So thank you to Gordon Ramsay. Is it made that an impact much on better? My they are very fluffy. They're they are really nice. fluffy. Yeah, they're really fluffy, really nice. And it's really simple, too. I guess it helps they use a lot of butter, but. <laughs> a little bit of butter, a little bit of creme fraiche. You on and off the, uh, the heat so you can uh, cook it slowly. And it just gives it that extra little fluff. It's brilliant. Brilliant technique. All right, next. This is a personal one for me. Putting dashes in telephone numbers, like seeing it on your phone or getting a text message of a phone number of somebody. I appreciate the dash more now to be able to separate the numbers and actually figure out what somebody's phone number is. Yeah, I think this is just a personal preference. Yeah, but it's a cluster. It's a nice way to break up a phone number to be able to read it easier. But the, like, the numbers, like they don't matter. You know, it's just you still put them in, in the same way. I think it's just visually appealing to have the dash. Yes. Yeah. So underrated. I am very Is that underrated? all about visual appearance. 
So putting aesthetics. Dots. Yeah. So give me the dashes, separate it out. I agree with you, Eddie. It I'm makes just, life like, easier. The, the the number doesn't change at all. No. But I don't know. I want to see the first three numbers for the area code dash the next three numbers dash final four numbers. Yeah. It just becomes a cluster of ten digits. <laughs> exactly. We got a basketball one for your reach. Okay. Basketball, Phil. Overrated, underrated. Load management for Jamal Murray in the exhibition games for the World Cup. Anything that gets Jamal Murray to playing at his best level is going to be underrated for me. So, yeah, load management, all you want in those exhibition games for uh, for Jamal Murray. I, I don't know. What matters the most? Winning games in the World Cup. So if he's got to load manage whatever minutes you got to load manage him for, then load manage away. I would feel the same way in hockey. Like, I know, obviously the NBA, they're trying to sell tickets, right? And they don't like that star players are sitting as often as they do during the NBA regular season. And that's what part of the NBA Cup is about, is trying to get more meaningful games during the course of the regular season. But you know what? If it's going to make for a better playoff, then I'm here for load management. Kawhi Leonard, 2019, yeah. played 60 games in the regular season for Great Toronto. amount. He played know? 60. And he won on one of the most iconic, greatest playoff runs in NBA history. 100%. So that proved to him and to everyone who was hating yeah. that I did the right thing. Like One of the things that's great but also bad about the Stanley Cup playoffs is how... It becomes a war of attrition, and it's it's a little bit of last man standing by the end of it. Like we were saying that this, this, year, year, this yeah, year, with the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, you know, like, well, they were just more healthy at the end of it than anybody else. And it's like, well, why is that the thing? You know, Florida was basically hanging on by a thread. You had Aaron Ekblad playing with some crazy injury. You had Matthew Kachuk hanging on to one shoulder. It's just like... And then they got mobbed in game five. Right. It's like, come on. But hockey purists will say it's a skill. Yeah. Remaining healthy is a skill. You should draft guys that are healthy. You should have a good medical team and, you know, have conditioning on your team to enable your players to stay healthy. Staying healthy is a skill. But also, I think the NHL, more than basketball and definitely baseball would benefit from a quality from an entertainment standpoint if they had fewer regular season games totally agree i know pk suban said this on uh, bill simmons podcast like years ago where he was like if we had a similar like nfl schedule the games would be unreal obviously that's not realistic but if you were to play two games a week in the NHL compared to the three, sometimes four they play a week now. The quality of the product would increase to an extraordinary level. I think that is 100% true. It's never going to happen. Heck, they're talking about adding more games to the NHL regular season, which is bonkers to me. But if you were to get it down to like, I don't know, 54 games a season or something like that. be unreal hockey. I think the hockey would be that much better for it. But the good thing about hockey that basketball now is lacking is, okay, Kawhi played 60 games. He missed 22. Yeah. If Connor McDavid comes to town, he only is coming to Vancouver twice this year. 
you bought tickets to one of the games to watch yep. Connor McDavid play, and it's his third game in four nights. Mm-hmm. He takes it off. Well, you're not seeing Connor McDavid anymore. No. <laughs> and that's a very real possibility in the NBA. Yeah. Like, you look at games on the schedule, and if you're going to go to a game, you're like, I don't really want to buy a back-to-back game. Yep. I don't want to go to that game. Nope. You want to go to a Friday night marquee. They've had two days of rest game. If you're going to go down to Portland to watch, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo and his one trip to Portland a year with the Bucks, um, you want to make sure he plays. You want to make sure that he plays. <laughs> uh, and so, if he's hurt, he's hurt. But like, but really hurt rather than just actually like hurt. Load management, right? That doesn't happen in hockey as much. No, definitely. Unless it's like last couple games of the season. And everything's all done and dusted and sorted out. It's uh, Dan Richo here on The People's Show. Mike Sando of The Athletic is going to join us next. Thanks for all your thoughts on uh, overrated or underrated. We'll get into the NFL and quarterback tiers next with Mike Sando on The People's Show. Final segment of The People's Show here in the Kintech studio. It's uh, Dan Richo alongside producers. Ben and Eddie uh, will take you over to the Mariners game coming up after 1 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650. But uh, we're in the thick of NFL training camps, and uh, recently the 10th edition of Mike Sando's QB tiers were released at The Athletic, and we bring Mike Sando into the conversation now. Thanks for this, Mike. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Uh, doing uh, doing fantastic, and uh, the QB tiers have uh, been a, a regular uh, – late July, early August tradition of a lot of ours now getting ready for the NFL season. And, you know, this year it's uh, really no surprise. It's been that way for a few years. Mahomes at number one. But does the battle uh, really start to begin at where at who number two is these days? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, you know, Joe Burrow kind of passed Josh Allen and we had Aaron Rodgers slip back a little bit, you know, as he's going into his age 40 season coming off kind of an injury you know an otherwise disappointing year so uh i i do think that's the case and we'll see you know jalen hurts is right at the top of tier two so if he has another big year he could push into that tier one conversation there's a nice little mix here of some you know guys in their primes really with mahomes and burrow and josh allen and and justin herbert who's you know just made into that group too the uh the aaron Rodgers. uh I guess still with a great reputation, even after the down year, but feels like a lot of comparisons are being made to Tom Brady and, and Brady's first year with the Bucks, and now Rodgers having a uh, newfound motivation with a new team for the first time in his career as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's legitimacy to the comparison. I think, you know, Tampa Bay was probably a better team. Uh, you know, they had a proven offensive coach in Bruce Arians. Uh, really established veteran wide receivers. Brady was able to bring, you know, eventually Rob Gronkowski along for a couple of years that helped him. So I think that was a more ideal setup for Brady, but this is still, you know, a good, a potentially good setup for, for Rogers there. You know, you've got Garrett Wilson, a nice young receiver, a couple people that, you know, are familiar with Rogers from green Bay, which he always likes guys who, you know, he knows where they're going to be. So, uh, the problem really is that if you look at all of tier one, there are all quarterbacks in the AFC. I was just going to say, <laughs> and if you go to a, if you go to the top of tier two, two of the top three are two with Lamar Jackson and I believe uh, Trevor Lawrence are up there, right around Jalen Hurts. So, you know, how far is Rogers going to lead the Jets? It could be if he gets to the playoffs, that's great, but how, how can you go deep in the AFC? 
I guess uh, one of the, uh, the the surprising things um, was was Justin Herbert's standing here at, at number five, and um, you know the talent I think is undeniable, but uh, you know there's just there's still some uh, some questions I think he has to answer as a player, and the maybe yeah. the clutch gene and things of that nature that uh, we see in so many other of these other top top tier quarterbacks. Yeah, so I think there's a nice contrast within tier one between Mahomes and Herbert, and here's the contrast. Mahomes has overcome situations where his team has a really bad defense or special teams. Uh, you know, certainly they traded away Tyreek Hill, and Mahomes is so great that they win the Super Bowl anyway. If you look at Justin Herbert, they've had a bottom five defense special teams over the past two years, and to Herbert's credit, they have a 19 and 15 record. All of the other teams that rank that low on defense special teams are way under 500. So, you know, it's a good job by Herbert as a lower tier one quarterback to keep them relevant. But in order to really get the acclaim, you know, he's going to need a little bit more help than a Mahomes would. Maybe that comes this year with Kellen Moore taking over the offense. Maybe it comes with, you know, a couple of the moves they made on defense, but I'm just not a hundred percent sure you can trust that charger kind of organization as much as anything to give him enough support to really make a dent in a tough AFC. I think Hertz, uh, Jalen Hurts, is going to have to answer some of those questions too if he's if he's going to get into tier one. Like one of the the craziest stats of last year is Hertz only threw sixty passes all season in the fourth quarter, which seems yeah. wild. But you know the the Eagles were just so far ahead in so many games during the regular season, and with the yeah. the the more difficult schedule and uh, all those things, like it's it, it's not going to be as easy of a road for Jalen Hurts to repeat what he did last year. Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to give him credit for what he's done, but the league tests everybody. And it'll there'll be, you know, he probably will never have as good of a roster around him as he had last year. Mm-hmm. And so it, more will be asked of him and his contract will start counting more against the salary cap and all those things, but that's just part of it. Doesn't mean he can't still be a top player. It just means the it gets a little bit tougher, but he should improve too. He has improved every step of the way. He's kind of one of those guys like Josh Allen who seems to get a little bit better, you know, almost every year early in his career. So, you know, we'll see if he's up up to it. Um, this year with the Eagles still should be a good team. Um, when doing this process, you know, Trevor Lawrence had to be one of the biggest risers, but uh, did you get a feel for, you know, how coaches and executives uh, think about or where they think the ceiling is for Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, I think it's really improved over the last year. You know, a year ago, even though everyone gave him a pass for, Urban Meyer situation. I think there was a little disappointment over just the the passing talent that that Trevor Lawrence had shown in terms of his accuracy it was a little shaky, and so there was some questions a year ago about if he could ever get to tier one. People were kind of thinking maybe two tiers, tier two is the ceiling for him. But uh, the way that he played over the second half of the year kind of gave people a little bit more optimism for the future. That hey, he's already in you know, kind of upper tier two, he may make a push towards tier one. So nice finish to the season for him. And they came back. Like you were talking about Jalen Hurts only 64th passes. You know, Trevor Lawrence coming back from 17 points down on Dallas, which has a good defense, you know, coming back certainly in the, uh, you know, coming back in the playoff game, they were way behind uh, against the Chargers. Those things, I think, impressed people. In tier two, I think there's there's Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, and, and Deshaun Watson, who uh, all have maybe talent to 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 be top tier quarterbacks, but have always left us 
sort of wanting a little bit more, maybe outside of Lamar's big MVP season. But I think all three of them, you know, big talent, but, you know, are we going to see them put it together for yeah. a full season? Well, I think Dak Prescott has played the most of those guys and is established kind of as a tier two guy every year. You know, Watson has been in tier one, a special circumstance. He, he yeah. you know, missed a whole bunch of time. He comes back. He played terrible last year. Uh, I think he's still young enough and talented enough to get back to tier one, but he has to kind of prove it. I think there's some still some optimism for him. Lamar Jackson has settled into tier two as well, but with a new offense there, at least there's something's going to be different, you know, fundamentally different in terms of the wide receivers they have, probably a little bit more emphasis on throwing the ball. We may get a better read on whether he can ascend. Um, so I would see a little bit of different, dynamics and circumstances around all three of those guys a uh, ton of Seahawks fans uh, here in in Vancouver and uh, you know they uh, they've the Seahawks have been involved in uh, the biggest riser on your list and also the biggest faller on your list uh, Geno <laughs> Smith the riser and Russell Wilson the faller we'll, we'll start on Russ because especially around these parts uh, there's been a, a joy in watching Russ not have success with the Denver Broncos and I think even going back to his last year in Seattle, there was you know, a lot of questions about whether or not the, the decline of his athletic abilities were, were going to affect what he could be as a top-tier quarterback, and, and we've seen that play out over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, absolutely. So going into the 2020 quarterback tiers or season, he was unanimous tier one, 50 out of 50. And then the next year, going into 2021, he had 40 votes in tier one out of 50. The next year after that, he had 15 out of 50 and this year he had zero so that's a pretty linear decline over more than just one season while this last year was the biggest drop for him there has been some decline you know in motion for a while and I think the Seahawks got out a year early as opposed to a year late and now the pressure's on Wilson to try to recapture it he should have a better chance with Sean Payton as his coach but it's also uh you know there there could be a short leash too I mean Sean Payton could be you know, if Russell Wilson doesn't play well or doesn't seem to be a great fit for the offense, takes too many sacks, doesn't get the ball out on time, those sorts of things which we could all see happening. Um, you know, it, Russell Wilson may not be in the quarterback tiers for that that much longer if that were if his decline were to continue. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the the lack of height and uh, his lack of ability to get out of the pocket. You know. One of the things that yeah. uh, you talk about on your list is, you know, how much quarterbacks, these quarterbacks can, can overcome some of the you know, bad parts of their situations. And, you know, the thing about Sean Payton is he's going to find a way to make his offense hum. And he seems to be able to do that with almost anybody. So that, that should give Russell Wilson at least a leg up on a bounce back here. Yeah, it should. I, I think, though, when, when Sean Payton has won with other quarterbacks, like – he has a good record with Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill and even Teddy Bridgewater. I think those guys have all had really good records with Sean Payton. They had good defense, you know, that really was driving it. It wasn't like those quarterbacks played amazing. They played okay. So, you know, is none of those guys, none of those quarterbacks ended up doing like a long-term deal as a starter, right? They just sort of got through and won. And so that's the question for me. Does Russell Wilson – recapture it and become part of the plan for Sean Payton going forward? Or is he just another quarterback that Sean Payton's able to kind of win with without really being the guy who's going to elevate him in that division, much less the conference? 
When when talking uh, to people around the league about Geno Smith, um, how many felt what he did last year was was for real and it's something he can continue to build on? I think most thought it was for real because the fundamentals behind his rise were legitimate. They were he was an accurate passer. He was poised. He was a good leader of the team. I don't think those things all go away. I think the question is, you know, how much more is there? can he grow and get even better than that? Um, He's probably a little low in the tiers, you know, just because of his history. He had to sort of overcome the gravitational pull of what he's been for all those years. And it takes maybe more than one year to really rise out of it in the tiers. He rose a lot, but I think he could have another year uh, similar. And then maybe he's towards the top of tier three, you know, kind of into, into the realm where, you know, Garoppolo or Kirk Cousins have been. Um, in recent years, the player with uh, maybe the most hype going into this year is is uh, Justin Field, or one of the players with some crazy hype. It might have something to do with the uh, the fantasy era of uh, how we watch football being a being a part of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. F- Fields still has a lot to prove as as a passer, uh, and I think uh, what what you you mentioned in the piece about Fields yeah. is that's really it. There's still a lot of question marks there. There are. There's a lot of excitement. And when you look at other quarterbacks, I mean, Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen have led the way of the athletic running quarterback who has questions about his accuracy developing into a better passer. So that's the hope for Fields. But I was talking to a longtime offensive coach today who's been a head coach, and I sort of ran that by him. And he said, yeah, he thought those guys, Hurts and and Josh Allen, were light years ahead as passers on their worst day than uh, Fields has been so far, so he's got a ways to go. He's no about no doubt about it, dynamic and exciting, but that passing part has to come along, or you're going to be, you know, really have a hard time when it comes to playoffs in the tougher situations. At Sando NFL on uh, Twitter, and you can find his work at the Athletic. The latest quarterback tiers are up. Mike, really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thank you. Have a great day. Uh, there is uh, Mike Sando. And his quarterback tears. Justin Fields, man. Like, I, I want to be on board. I do. You know, he's one of my guys that I'm going to probably draft this year. Maybe overdraft when I get to fantasy season. But fantasy and reality is a very different thing. Do I trust Justin Fields to lead my team to success? Probably not. Not from what I've seen so far, at least not in a real football sense. And the NFC North probably pretty wide open, right? You don't have Aaron Rodgers there anymore. People are saying, what, the Detroit Lions are the favorite? When was the last time in your life were the Detroit Lions a favorite of anything? And there's Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. For Josh. For Josh. And you know what? The Vikings, probably right there with the Lions, is the favorites to win the division. I'd probably more likely bet on Cousins and the Vikings than anybody else from where I sit right now. But Justin Fields, just because he finished third in fantasy points or whatever, doesn't mean he should be the guy everybody's hyping up. Doesn't mean you should go over to playnow.com and say, you know what, I'm going to throw a tenner on... uh, Justin Fields to win NFL MVP. The hype has kind of gotten a little bit out of control. And yes, the way the NFL is played now has sort of taken a sort of Madden-esque turn 
We see a lot more running quarterbacks. We also see a lot more passing. And Justin Fields at times last year was a horrible passer. And you can't get around that. At some point, you're going to have to throw a pass and make a play. Can't do it all on your feet. We saw that and have seen that throughout the history of the NFL. And Patrick Mahomes, the best there is right now. Josh Allen, great running, but also can make that big throw. It is a quality of almost every quarterback in the league now that you need to have to scramble out of the pocket, keep plays alive, but then make a throw downfield. Fields has shown he can consistently scramble out of the pocket, make plays with his feet, but he's not extending plays to make that big play downfield. That was the hallmark of Russell Wilson's peak, right? Escape the pressure. Keep a play alive. Get Tyler Lockett downfield and make a play. He's one of the best deep ball throwers we've seen in the last number of years, Russell Wilson. That's what made him as a quarterback. What made him an MVP candidate. At some point, Justin Fields is going to have to be able to do that in order to be considered a true elite quarterback in the National Football League. The depth of quarterback in the NFL is probably as good as we've ever seen it. I mean, you can go 12 deep here and not have a ton of question marks about a ton of the guys. There's a lot of upside in the lower tier of quarterback as well. You know, we think about Tua Tungvaloa, who I'm sure some of our Miami Dolphins fans are going to chime in and say he's due for a big year. Justin Fields, whom we've talked about. Brock Purdy was 5-0 and in the regular season. Beat Seattle, beat Dallas in the playoffs. And yet, still has to have a prove-it year. Also coming off of Tommy John surgery. Not even a guarantee he's the starter for the San Francisco 49ers. Can Jordan Love do what Aaron Rodgers did early in his Green Bay career. Now, I know revisionist history for a lot of us just sort of thinks that Aaron Rodgers hit the ground running as the Green Bay Packers quarterback once he took over for Brett Favre. He was 6-10 and 10 in that first year with Green Bay. Doesn't necessarily mean Jordan Love has to have a great record in order to be able to prove it. And he's shown well so far in training camp but there's a lot that he has to do in order to really make himself anywhere close to the big shoes he has to fill of Aaron Rodgers and, of course, Brett Favre before him. Really appreciate Mike Sando spending some time with us on the quarterback tiers and his annual list, which has uh, kind of become one of the big release points of the NFL season. But it's time we close the show with a little bit of our favorite game. It's Puck Doku to close the people's show here today. Everybody loves a good Puck Doku to get the, the rest of the day going, don't they? Got producers Ben and Eddie with us today. Uh, all right. So we know how to play it by now. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You want to chime in with your take or your submission for Puck Doku. We've got uh, Toronto and Buffalo for the first box of today's game. We need one player that fits the criteria of both teams 
or the category of each box. And you can only use that player once for each selection. Can I take a little control to get things started here? Because I have a great potential start to today. You have a good deep cut with the... Not deep cut, great tie. Okay. That binds. What is it? Mike Foligno for Toronto and Buffalo. Okay. Next to Minnesota Buffalo, Marcus Foligno. <laughs> father and son. The father-son that connection. Is good. That is good. Who was thinking about this? Me. I have too much time. This was prepped. Yeah. I mean, we could have gone Brad May. We could have gone uh, Grant Fuhrer, Darren Popa, Doug Gilmore. I mean, there's a lot of Dave Anderchuk. Dave Anderchuk. No, we're going Mike and Marcus Foligno. Trying to spice up this game, find new angles. That's a 2% on Mike Foligno. And uh, should be 100% based on the helmet alone. <laughs> Buffalo, Minnesota. Marcus Foligno, 17 percenter. Uh, okay, Buffalo, 90-plus save percentage season. We cannot use Dominic Hasek here, guys. Yeah, that's too easy. Give uh, it his six business. Yeah, 90-plus save percentage. Can't be, uh, can't be too deep of a list. Ryan Miller? Ryan Miller would be on it, yeah. He was great in Buffalo. Jonas Enroth? I don't know if he ever got <laughs> Tom Barrasso be on that list? Oh, yeah, probably. Although, I'm always, like, wary of... Yeah, 80s goalies. 80s goalies, like a 900 save percentage meant you were winning the Vesna. I know. Uh, Jonas Enroth definitely works. Uh, what do we have on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox? Uh, nothing yet. So, we're going to go with Jonas Enroth. That's a one percenter. Uh, Chicago, Toronto is next. Doug Gilmore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Feel like uh, Gil- Gilmore Killer, as they call him, uh, is a very popular name for a lot of the Toronto categories. Bit of a suitcase, Gilmore, in his career for a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Don't see too many Hall of Famers that played with that many teams. What, six teams. St. Louis, Calgary, Toronto, Montreal, Chicago, New Buffalo, Jersey. New Jersey. So that's an eight. Yeah, back to Toronto. Back to Toronto. <laughs> Ripped his knee in that first game back. Ended his career. Tough. Um, Chicago, Toronto. Dominic Moore works here. I think, I think so. Ed mm-hmm. Belfour. Yes. That's a good one. Moore would qualify in the list that we talked about yesterday of guys who played on 10 teams in the NHL. Yeah. Keeping with that theme. Yeah. We got to go with the suitcases. Just a quick check. Dominic Moore did play with Chicago, and my memory serves me correctly. Uh, No, he did not. I would have been wrong. Did not play a game with Chicago. I thought he did. All right. We'll go Ed Belfort for the sake of time. Uh, Chicago, Minnesota. I got a member of the all-name team. The all-name team. I hope he made it. What's uh, what's what do we got? Sergey Krivokrasov. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> what? Played in the late '90s into the early 2000s. I I, I kind of remember the name just because it was such a such a name. Member of the all-name team. <laughs> Dave Boland. Yeah, Dave Boland. Did he play with Minnesota? 
Dave Bolin would have worked for Chicago, Toronto. That was Toronto, Chicago. Was Toronto, yeah. Chicago. Um, Chicago, Minnesota. I was going to say Dustin Bufflin, but that doesn't that doesn't jive. He's from Minnesota. Yeah. Um, all right, I guess we're going with Kriver Krasov. That's a less than one percenter. Chicago, 90-plus save percentage. Corey Crawford. Did Ed Belfour. Anti Niemi have over 90%? I guess he would have. I mean, you play uh, in recent years, you probably get over 900 save percentage. Did he do it with Chicago? Yes, he did. Give love to the cup winner. Mm-hmm. Anti Niemi. All right. Montreal, Toronto. I got a good one for this one. Thomas Plakanich. Ooh, the turtleneck. That's exactly what Eddie said. <laughs> That's all he's known for. He's known for the turtleneck. It's a good one. Mike Commissarek. Because say Canucks uh, development coach, Mike Commissarek, mm-hmm. was a colossal disaster in Toronto. Uh, Montreal, Minnesota is next. Montreal and Minnesota. I was going to say Brian Bellows, but Bellows technically would be Dallas. Four stars, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah. That doesn't work. Could have got us into some trouble. Does Jim uh, Dowd work here? Pierre-Marc Bouchard? No, he never played with Montreal. No. I'm just, like, stereotyping every French-Canadian. Guillaume Latendresse. That's a good name. Uh, we're going with Guillaume Latendresse. And Montreal Canadiens, 90-plus save percentage. Gee, that's a tough one. Where to start? Where to start? Did Ken Dryden do it? Jose I'm just Theodore. curious because like I don't I have no context for like Jose what Theodore save percentage was in uh in what Jose about, like, Theodore definitely I'm trying to think it. of like some deeper cuts like say a David Abisher. Yeah. Jose David Theodore Abisher. would have done it. He just gets kind of glossed over because of the carry price thing. Yeah. But he was pretty he didn't good. Did he win the heart that year? Jocelyn Thibault. Uh Jocelyn Thibault. Jose Theodore did it multiple times. Yeah. 931 in 2002. He was pretty good. Yeah. A couple years. Ripped the, Vez- the hard trophy away from Jerome McGinley that year. Let's go, Jose Teodor. All right. Carey Price, 37% on that one. All right. There's our Paktoku for the day. Solid uniqueness score. And we get nine out of nine. Close out the day strong. 67 on the uniqueness. Shouts to you, the listener, for always playing along. Ken Dryden. Yes. Chef Swagger. Shouts to Cristobal Hue. Now, that's a name. I was wondering about him. That's a great name. Yeah. Cristobal oh, Hue. What a great name. Great pull from uh, Chef Swagger from Hell's Kitchen. Wow. And he played in that 2006 year where goals were going in like crazy. <laughs> so, I wonder if he would have qualified. Well, there was 100 power plays a game. Of course, right, goals Giotto, were going. 48-goal season. Uh, all right. Coming up, Mariners. Uh, we'll see if they can uh, keep climbing on the Blue Jays for that final wild card spot. In the American League. Back tomorrow. We'll be on uh, 4 to 6.30 tomorrow afternoon. It'll be myself and Randeep Janda with you through the evening tomorrow. So tune in then. For producers Ben and Eddie, I'm Dan. You've been listening to The People's Show on Sportsnet 650.